We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I am joined by Kyle Madsen, content czar of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Kyle, you and I both went to the gym today. What what muscles did you focus on? Oh, it was chest and back day for me. Uh, I've finally gotten into a new routine. Typically, chest and back day is going to be your Monday, but I haven't been in a while, so that's where I started. Uh, just really good shred sesh for me. Yeah, you? that's that. That's pretty aggressive. Those are two major muscle groups. I did uh, I did back and tries today, but bigger news than our workouts, Kyle. Uh, Antonio Brown of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the possible Hall of Fame wide receiver. A lot is going wrong in Pittsburgh. They didn't make the playoffs this year. Brown missed practice last week. A lot of drama over there. There's speculation, rumors circulating that the Steelers want to move on, that Brown wants to get traded and and go to another team. George Kittle, of course, 49ers tight end, tweeted at Brown. He said, sup, and Brown responded with a starry-eyed emoji. Um, And Brown also posted a picture of Jerry Rice with a goat on his Instagram story, which, of course, means Antonio Brown is just dying to come to the 49ers. Um, I kid, of course, but that's been dominating the news cycle ahead of the wildcard round of the playoffs this weekend. And, And I wrote about it for the Sack B uh yesterday actually just sort of the cases for and against antonio brown and and i think you know i i've i don't really have an opinion either way i I totally see why the 49ers would want to do it and i totally understand why it makes sense for them to do it at the right price if he's made available and look the steelers might not even try to trade him they might try to bring it back and just say we have too much financial financially at stake to move on from brown and, and we'll get into that as we talk about this but 
I could also see the 49ers not wanting to inject their locker room with that type of presence, that type of personality. Um, and we don't know why exactly things are so corrosive in Pittsburgh, but that's going to be probably the biggest deterrent for the 49ers if Brown's made available. You know, do they want to have a guy who's going to be one of their highest paid players um, who who has a history of, of just, you know, not showing up to meetings? Uh, I don't want to call him selfish necessarily, but maybe acting in, in a selfish way. And, and the 49ers, of course, are all about the team, the team, the team. Kyle, what's your take on, you know, this idea of adding Antonio Brown and whether or not the 49ers should do it? Uh, I, I was in the camp right away that they should. Uh, you can you just from a pure football sense, you, you take a receiver as talented as Antonio Brown is. He's had 100 catches each of the last six years and you plug him into an offense like Kyle Shanahan's. That's that's a very, very scary thought for opposing defenses, especially after seeing what guys like Andre Johnson and Julio Jones did under Kyle Shanahan. Both of those guys had their only all pro seasons uh, under him. So I understand that Antonio Brown turns 31 uh, prior to next year, but from a pure football sense, I think it's absolutely worth what you would have to give up to to get him on the roster. On the other hand, what you bring up about the locker room is I think the most valid point in all of this because the 49ers made it clear they kicked tires on Josh Gordon and basically said they decided not to pursue that because of uh, the possible off-field issues that they could encounter with with him and if that's going to be the case with Brown I think they're going to be extremely cautious uh, with that I think the locker room could probably could probably take on his personality I think they're strong enough to and I think maybe he'd be different in a in a different setting but I think if they if they don't do it I think that's going to be the biggest reason why I don't think it'll be because of compensation or money yeah I totally agree with you and, and just to go go to the mechanics of it the Steelers basically have to decide if they want to bring Brown back um, and deal with the possible drama next year, while presumably their their window of contending for a Super Bowl is still open if they bring all these guys back, uh, or if they trade him, they're going to have over $21 million in dead salary cap money either this year or combined over the next two years, just depending on how they went the timing of the trade and, and when it's allocated. So it's a really expensive proposition for the Steelers to get rid of Antonio Brown. So if things are so toxic and they're past a point of no return where, you know, they just can't function and, and his relationship with Ben Roethlisberger is soured or his relationship with, with their head coach, Mike Tomlin is soured to the point where they just can't remain competitive and on the same page, then they do have to move on even at, at that price. And Adam Schefter was on you know TV all day today saying there's a sentiment in the league that they think he's going to get traded. They think you know that's it's so bad in Pittsburgh that the Steelers are going to want to move on from Antonio Brown. And just given how aggressive the 49ers have been, or at least are saying they've been uh, since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took over in 2017, adding Brown makes a ton of sense because you know they they could use a bona fide number one receiver. Uh, Pierre Garcon is. They're, the chances are are good that he's not with the team next year, and even if he is back, I don't know if that precludes you from adding another, you know, significant starting receiver, sure. someone like Brown, Marquise Goodwin. You know, he had a really good year in 2017 with with almost a thousand yards, but he fell off again last year, and injuries were an issue. He was away from the team with a family is, issue, um, and he just hasn't proven. You know, he's had one good season in his six years in the NFL. 
you just can't rely on him to to be your number one or number two receiver. And the 49ers learned that lesson the hard way this year. And, you know, obviously they had their quarterback issues, which which were a part of that. But I don't know that they're going to go into next season thinking, OK, we have Marquise Goodwin. We're, we're set with our starting receivers with him and Dante Pettis. Um, the 49ers were the worst red zone team in the NFL last year and no receiver scored more touchdowns than Antonio Brown. So, you know, Nick Saban sa- said something interesting. Uh, Sports Center had a special a story time thing with with Nick Saban. And he told a story when he was a, a high school quarterback. Um, and the, he said it was the first coaching lesson he learned. He was basically it was fourth down inside the final minute of a key game to go to the playoffs or whatever. And his coach told him to call the play. And the only thing that the, the only thing Saban had to do calling the play was to get the ball to one of his two best offensive players. They had a good running back and a, and a good receiver. And the play ended up being a fake to the running back and a, and a post to the receiver. And it worked and scored a touchdown and they won the game and went to the playoffs. And then Saban said, you know, that was the most important early coaching lesson I ever learned was, you know, it's not what play you call. It's it's what players get the ball. Um and so essentially that that's sort of why I think the 49ers have struggled in the red zone. So, mm-hmm. you know, the last couple of years is they just don't have the playmakers. So you look at somebody like Antonio Brown, I think that can make a huge difference in then in them, you know, being able to score touchdowns uh, at a far better rate than 41%, which was dead last in the NFL this season. So I think it does make sense from that standpoint. Also, financially, it makes a ton of sense. Over the Cap posted a, a really good sort of breakdown of all the financial mechanics of, of the Brown trade, which you guys can check out. But uh, because Brown's on the third year of, or going into the third year of a $72 million extension, he's going to cost $15 million, just over $15 million in 2019, $11.3 million in 2020, and $12.5 million in 2021. That's really affordable for you know a real number one receiver who who's going to have you know 100 catches 1200 yards and you know 10 touchdowns or whatever uh, for the next three years that's a lot less than he would get on the open market if he were just cut and made a free agent so that would make sense for the 49ers from that standpoint so uh, I, I get it like it, it would make a lot of sense and just you know the 49ers in the nfc they're in a different conference you know, they're on the opposite coast it makes sense, but but the thing we do have to wonder about is his fit in the locker room because, I mean, the 49ers just don't have anybody with that kind of personality in that locker room. And Kyle Shanahan has said it, like, you want to pay the right guys and the, the rest of the locker room is going to notice. And so do they want to bring in someone who's going to be a distraction, who's going to be all of his Instagram stuff is going to be a story every week, what he likes you know, we followed the 49ers on Instagram. Obviously, that was a big deal. Um, so there, there's a lot to there's a lot to factor into that. And we've seen as talented as he is, the Steelers didn't make the playoffs this year. And I think just about everyone would point to sort of the relationships behind the scene in the locker room as the reason why. And Brown was obviously a protagonist in that. And that's something the 49ers are really going to have to consider. Yeah, and that's the the salary cap thing is the is the big thing I've seen the discussion online is all about the the cap and how does he fit? He fits underneath the the cap for the 49ers. <laughs> like that that's just it. They're not the that's not going to be the hold up in this deal. Let's say they work out a trade that they that they think is feasible uh, with with draft picks and the Steelers have agreed to it and the Niners decide that this guy fits in the locker room and all all the Niners players they're not going to go, "You know what? That's a that's a that's a big cap hit. We're not going to do it." Like that's I, I just I, I don't foresee that happening. So I think the hand wringing over over the cap space or lack thereof 
it can can stop because I don't think that's going to hold up the Niners. Yeah, and I think too when you're when you're talking about okay, what are the Niners going to have to give up in a trade? It's going to be a package probably surrounding you know a first round pick, and I'm going to guess it's going to be a 2020 first round pick because I do not see the 49ers giving up the number two overall pick this year. Uh, maybe unless they move back and it's you know they they move back and get a f- couple other first round picks or whatever and trade one of those for Brown. He's just too advanced in his career to give up a pick like number two or multiple first round picks. You give up multiple first round picks for a player still, you know, in younger, like the bears gave up multiple first round picks for Khalil Mack because he's not 31. I think Mack's what, 26, yeah, uh, right. 27. He's, he's still in his physical prime and going to be in that prime for a little while. I think Brown with three years left on his contract, I think three years is, is a good amount of time to have him. Uh, just given his age and, and, you know, he's still really athletic and has no problem getting separation. There hasn't been, you know, there haven't been any signs of him slowing down physically at, at this point. And, and I do think we should point out too, people are so concerned about giving up first round picks. The, the 49ers have a 33% hit rate basically with first round picks since John, since Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took over. And, you know, obviously it's a super small sample size, but Solomon Thomas hasn't really lived up to the number three overall billing. Uh, Ruben Foster is obviously no longer on the team. Mike McGlinchey was a really good pick. And it's, you know, being one for three isn't particularly good. So if you're worried about giving up a first round pick to get someone in like Antonio Brown, who could completely change the the dynamic of the offense, you, you have to think about the hit rate and, and just sort of, you know, you're alleviating yourself of some risk by giving up a first round pick because because you're getting a player that you know is going to be really good and really dynamic for the offense. Yeah, and you're and you're getting a player who can who can still be a contributor for 3 years even if his play falls off and you're getting a 75 catch 1000 yard 7 touchdown receiver, the Niners will take that. And they're not going to have to rely on him in 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 Pittsburgh, he was the number one option. I understand that Juju Smith-Schuster is outstanding and and James Conner was really good, but but Antonio Brown was the guy in that offense and that he wouldn't, he wouldn't need to be that with, with the way Kyle Shanahan runs things and with George Kittle and, and the multitude of running backs are going to have. And Dante Pettis developed into a nice receiver this year uh, that it, it would just, I, I foresee it working. Um, and, and I, I, I don't know. I just feel like he's the, the exact type of receiver Shanahan wants. Uh, do you remember, do you remember him gushing about Emmanuel Sanders before the Denver game? Oh Yeah. Yep. And he went on that whole thing about, uh, I have the quote here, actually. It's, Emmanuel is the man. He's always been the man. He's extremely quick. He knows how to separate. He can beat man coverage, and he's also feeler, fearless. He's aggressive with the ball. He doesn't mind going there and blocking. He doesn't mind going over the middle, and he's one of the tougher challenges in the league. Like, a lot of that describes Antonio Brown. If they're going to pay a receiver big money, and if they're going to separate with with big draft capital for a receiver, it's going to be a guy like that. Yeah, and we we should point out there probably isn't a true bona fide number one receiver in this draft class, uh, and there certainly isn't in free agency aside from maybe you know Larry Fitzgerald, who's I think going to turn sixty four in the off season. Um, uh, sixty five. Okay, sorry, my mistake. Um, so this is really outside of Odell Beckham Jr. Antonio Brown is probably the most realistic option as a real number one receiver the 49ers could get um and it's not crazy to see them you know give up a 
something like, you know, a, a 2020 first round pick and, you know, a third or a second or something. And then the Steelers re- send back Antonio Brown and then a fourth rounder or something like yeah. that. But we should also point out the Niners only have five picks in this upcoming draft, which is significantly less than, you know, the nine or 10 or even 11 they've had in recent seasons. Um, so that's going to be something they also have to factor into. Um, but it's an interesting conversation because it feels like just given how aggressive the 49ers have been or portray themselves to be adding someone like Antonio Brown would make a ton of sense just given that and how much they need a a true number one receiver to, to work into this offense. And, and really, you know, if they're going to compete with the Rams for the division and that has to be their goal, taking the, taking the offense to the next level with someone like Brown is something they absolutely need to look into. Um, But on the other hand, like we've said, there are tons of risks in terms of all the locker room stuff, all the off the field stuff, and and exactly how he fits in the locker room. Um, and if you don't think that's a big deal, I think, you know, the 2014 49ers where there was all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes that, that ruined that season. Um, this season for the Steelers, obviously, they missed the playoffs despite coming in as a as arguably, I, I think what, they, they had the second best odds to go to the Super Bowl in the AFC this year? So if, if, it, if it wasn't the second, they were they were like the third. Right. Like they were they were so talented and so loaded and they didn't make the playoffs largely because of all the distractions they dealt with in the locker room and things like that. So I don't I don't personally have an opinion on on it. I can see I I can see the case for, you know, the arguments on both sides of it. And it'll be really interesting to see. So moving on, we're going to we're going to break down some some awards, some 2018 awards for the 49ers season. Uh, we're going to go offensive rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year, MVP, defensive player of the year, offensive player of the year, the best win and the best play. So Kyle, why don't you start us off? Who is your 2018 49ers offensive rookie of the year? I, I picked Mike McGlinchey, uh, the right tackle. He was just, he was so good all year and he only got better as the season went on. He was a huge reason that their running game was so successful. I, I they had they had a, a few really good rookies this year, but I think McGlinchey's got to take the award. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dante Pettis. Um, McGlinchey was really good, and he was really solid, and, and Pro Football Focus says he's the best uh, run-blocking tackle in the league, which is, I guess, you know, pretty impressive. Um, he, he took his lumps in pass protection sometimes, and, and he didn't play particularly well against Khalil Mack, but I, I think that's sort of to be expected. Right. Um, I'm going to say Pettis just because projecting forward, just, you know, some of the things you saw from from Pettis looks like he could be, you know, a really high-level receiver, particularly in Kyle Shanahan's offense, and given the way um, the game is being officiated, I think, you know, I, I would say his biggest weakness is probably going over the middle and taking some of those hits from linebackers and safeties and still being able to catch passes. Uh, those hits are, are largely being legislated out of the league, which makes me not so concerned about, you know, Pettis's willingness to go over the middle and things like that. Uh, over his last six games, 24 catches, 371 yards, uh, 15, over 15 yards per catch, four touchdowns. He caught 60, 65% of his passes from Nick Mullins. That's in his rookie season. Um, Kyle Shanahan gushed about his ability to play all three of the receiver spots, the the X, the Z, and the F, uh, which is which is the slot position. I just think Dante Pettis, and we saw it in training camp, and, and he sort of got off to a slow start to the season after 
after suffering a knee injury and, and things like that. But just projecting forward, I think he could be a really good receiver. I don't know that he'll be a number one option, but I think he, he sort of has a ceiling of a, of a really good number two receiver. And obviously you need that. And if they were to get Antonio Brown, then then I think Pettis could see a huge jump in his numbers as well, just because of, you know, opponents shifting their coverages to, to make sure George Kittle gets gets a proper treatment. And, you know, Antonio Brown is obviously going to demand a lot of attention. So I'm going to go with Pettis for my uh, for my offensive rookie of the year. What who is your defensive rookie of the year? Yeah, for defensive rookie of the year, I went with Fred Warner, the third round linebacker out of BYU. He earned the starting Mike linebacker job out of camp. He never relinquished it. He had some ups and downs with his tackling, but he was really good in coverage all year. He was a three down guy. Uh, he was he played 98% of their defensive snaps. He was the only player over 80% outside of DeForest Buckner. He was he, he was one of their most consistent defenders and certainly uh, their most consistent uh, rookie on that side of the ball. Yeah, I think I would agree. I think it's a pretty easy decision at this point, just purely based on his production, like you mentioned. I mean, 124 tackles, um, three tackles for loss, six pass breakups, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery. He was definitely, outside of DeForest Buckner, their most consistent defensive player. But I do want to give uh, the the runner-up title to to someone who's who maybe didn't play as much, um, but I think could have a really significant role going forward, and that's DJ Reed, the rookie fifth-round pick from Kansas State. Um, he's a guy who once once he got he's a guy. I, God, I really hate that saying. He he's once he got moved to nickel and and started playing in the slot. You really saw his play just go to another level, um, and and he just seems like with a if he's given a chance to compete with Kwan Williams for that job, I think he could win it. Uh, he's really tough. He's feisty. He's physical. He's good in coverage. He's short, but he's got the long arms that they want at that position. And I just think he could be a really good starter if he's given that every every down, if he's given the top nickel spot over Kwan Williams, who's okay. I don't know that Kwan's really a game changer, but I think Reed could be. Um, and and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him beat out Kwan for for that top nickel job next year. So let's go. We'll we'll save MVP for last. Let's go defensive player of the year. Uh, for me, I got to give it to DeForest Buckner. I think it's an easy call. 12 sacks, uh, really good pressure rate, played a ton of snaps like he always does. Really sort of evolved into a locker room leader. He won the Len Eshmont Award, which is the most prestigious award, like we mentioned in the last episode of the pod. Uh, just a guy that, you know, is a guy they're going to have to pay. And they he, he's their most indispensable player on defense right now if they lose him then they are in serious trouble they're not going to of, of course but i just think buckner is far and away the niners defensive player of the year yeah it's it's not really a question for me uh richard sherman was obviously uh he was he was good fred warner we mentioned was really good this year but deforest buckner was one of the probably three best players at his position in the league um, and, and he probably should have been a pro, a pro bowler and, and maybe he will be after, after you know, players drop out, but, uh, he's, he's definitely the Niners defensive player of the year. And I, I'm not really sure there's, there's an argument against him. Offensive player of the year. I think we're both in agreement on this one too. Uh, tight end George Kittle, who had 1,377 receiving yards, the most ever by a tight end. Um, he's a really good blocker in the running game. He's their most dynamic pass catcher at the moment. 
Uh, I think the 49ers would like to see his touchdown total improve. Uh, he hasn't quite been the red zone target that, that they need at this point. Um, but I think that's really the next step in his evolution as a player. He had five touchdown catches. Obviously, a few of them were, were really long ones outside of the red zone. Um, so you would like to see Kittle be that sort of Rob Gronkowski-like guy who you can just throw a jump ball to when he's split wide against a cornerback and, and it's an easy touchdown type type weapon right. in, the, in the red zone. Right. Um, just a really dynamic player. Blew away just every single record for 49ers tight ends in, in club history. So my offensive player of the year is George Kittle. Yeah, and I'm I'm not really sure, like Buckner, I'm not really sure if there's an argument against him. If if for no other reason he played 16 games, <laughs> which right. is which is not something a lot of a lot of uh, 49ers can say. So it's going to be Kittle for me, just just based purely on production. I think Matt Breida would have been in the conversation had he had a healthy 16 game season. Uh, Dante Pettis, you mentioned earlier, was was good this year, but uh, for me for me it's Kittle. Yeah, and my dog agrees. Good, good, good. good. Thank um, you. Roscoe definitely is a big Kittle guy. So. Um, Best win of the season. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the the win in December over the Seahawks. Just finally getting over the hump and beating Seattle for the first time since 2013. I think it meant a lot. Um, and in hindsight, you know, there's a lot of hand wringing about the team winning and and not being able to get the first overall pick. I think, but we're gonna talk about the draft plenty. But they're gonna be fine with with number two, whether it's Nick Bosa slides one spot or if it's Josh Allen from Kentucky. They could end up with with either of those guys, and I think they would be in great shape with either one of those guys. So yep. the win over the Seahawks, just getting over that hump, getting Richard Sherman that win. You know, John Lynch said after that game, he, he really thought that's when Sherman became a 49er. And I know that's sort of cheesy, but but there's real value in that. Uh, just Sherman, you know, going into the locker room and celebrating with everybody and and him really feeling like he's not just a hired gun at this point and just really being ingrained in, in the culture of the team. I think that was important. So yeah, Nick Mullins beating the Seahawks in the rain and overtime, Robbie gold, uh, kicking the game winning field goal. I just, there was a, there was a lot to that game and, and it was the best opponent, the 49ers beat uh, yeah. of their four wins. So I'm, I'm giving it to that Seahawks game. Yeah, it has to be the Seahawks game and the biggest I don't want to use the term win, but I'm going to the biggest win for me with the, with the Niners in that, in that one was how well so many of the young guys played and they were on, they were so far down on their depth chart by week 15 and they still went out. They played hard. They beat a playoff team and a playoff team that had beat hit them nine times in a row. And I think that was, if, if they do go in next year and they have the season, a lot of people think they're going to have, and they earn a playoff spot and make some noise in the playoffs. I think that week 15 win over the Seahawks can kind of be pointed to as a turning point and going, this is the point that a lot of these guys realize that they belong in this league. They can play in this league. And it, it, yeah, the, the Seahawks win was, was their best one of the year. I think, okay. So I think uh, going on to the Oh, not, not, we haven't hit MVP yet, but the best play of the season. Uh, I think we have different answers on this. I'm going to go with Kittle's 43-yard touchdown against the Rams in the finale that clinched him the record for most receiving yards by a tight end in the season. Um, I just think, you know, really after Jimmy Garoppolo went down in week three, there wasn't a whole lot to pull from. And just because it was such a lost season and, and they were out of the playoffs so early on that that play just sort of symbolized 
it sort of embodied just everything that happened with the 49ers season. It's like, you know, that they're playing in a, in a meaningless game, a meaningless second half of week 17. And everyone's really trying hard to get Kittle the record and, and the defense, they wanted to get the stop on fourth down. And Anton Exum blitzed when he, it wasn't the play call for him to blitz. He just blitzed (laughs) because he wanted to make the play to ensure that Kittle had a chance to get the nine yards that he needed. Uh, and it turns out he went, he took it 43 yards for a long touchdown and and it's fitting just how good Kittle was after the catch. And he, he led the NFL in yards after the catch. So for him to turn a little, you know, five yard out play into a 43 yard touchdown is just emblematic of the season he had. And, and I think when I look back on this season, the play I'll remember the most is, uh, is Kittle breaking that record with that touchdown and just sort of how happy everyone was for Kittle and, and there weren't a ton of moments where the sideline really erupted, but that was that was really one of those moments. And it came late in the season finale in a lost season. And it just sort of points to, you know, how close the team is and camaraderie and, and everything like that. So Kittle's 43 yard touchdown week 17. That's my play of these play of the season. Yeah, something about that play that was that was ridiculous to me was he went 43 yards, like you said, on that little five yard out and everybody in the stadium knew who was getting the ball. Like if the Rams had lined up eleven guys over Kittle, they were still throwing it to him. Yeah, and, there, there and, was like nothing else to play yeah. for. There uh, the, was nothing else to play for. In the interest of picking something different, because I, I Kittle's record breaker was one that that really stood out to me. This is one I didn't even put in the rundown though. Uh, Richie James' kick return against the Seahawks is okay. is the one I'm going to pick, and here's why. I wrote about this at NinersWire.com. Since that was the Niners' best win. I wanted to pick a play from from that game specifically. And that Richie James kick return was the point that that game, I think, turned around because the Seahawks mowed down the field uh, on their first series with with no real resistance. Akello Witherspoon got hurt and it just really looked like, hey, this is on the way to another Seahawks beatdown of the 49ers. Same old thing. And then Sebastian Janikowski misses the extra point. And then Richie James goes 97 yards on the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown to take a 7-6 lead. And the game was just different from then on. I think if James doesn't go to the house there and he takes it out to the 20, the Niners go three and out, the Seahawks come down and score, and the route is on. That game swung because of that kick return. And the way the Niners played the rest of the way, I think, was catalyzed by that. And and it helped the the biggest win of the year and 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 a huge win for the franchise so uh that's what i'm going with shout out to ricky james richie james the seventh rounder uh getting a kick return touchdown yeah i agree and and you look at you know i think the niners had two non-offensive touchdowns on the season they had anton exum's pick six against philip rivers and the chargers week four mm-hmm. and then you had the the kickoff return and richie james and really i mean the niners could have won that chargers game they were in it until the end they had a they had a chance to go down and and get the game-winning score in the fourth quarter, but Derwin James made made a great play and blitz C.J. Beathard and sort of forced an interception. Um, but really, that pick six and and that kickoff return for a touchdown were the only reasons really that those games were close as they were as close as they were, I should say. And you need luck, and you need you know when when you're going against the Seahawks who have a good defense. Uh, obviously, that game went to overtime, so they really needed that Richie James touchdown. The 49ers won that game, so I, I'm in I'm in agreement with you. That's that's a good play to mention. Okay, let's do it. The big, the big tamale, most valuable player, Kyle. Who's your Who's your MVP? Can I say someone I wanted to pick but I didn't? But I feel like you could definitely make the case for. Is it Cassius Marsh? 
Yes. How did you know? <laughs> I'm just saying the spinning jump kick is an underrated move and he executes it flawlessly. Yeah. So is waving uh, not today to, to Sean McVay in the, in the first half points. of the blowout of week 17 when he got a third down stop. That was that was my one of many of my favorite Cassius Marsh moments of 2018. He's an icon, dude. He is a 49ers icon. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, with uh, an honorable mention before I before I say who my winner is, I want to give an honorable mention to Robbie Gould, who in a season that I feel like 31 teams at some point cut a kicker. Robbie Gould was just money. And I know the 49ers weren't very good this year, but having a kicker that you know is going to go make a kick late in the game or where you don't have to worry about an extra point uh, that's a that's a such a huge thing that goes overlooked, and Robbie Gould was was nails for the Niners all season. If they yeah, were better, he, go ahead. He led the NFL by making ninety seven percent of his kicks. Yeah, which is it, good. Yeah, he's he was dynamite. But uh, my winner is George Kittle. Uh, I I struggle to envision where this offense would have been without him. He was just so good for them. He single-handedly won them that Broncos game in the first half, at least on offense. The defense is really good, but offensively he carried them in that game. Uh, and there were, there were just so many times where they needed a big play and he came up with it. And I, 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 I really don't know what they do if they don't have George Kittle to catch the football. If, if Cole Wick and Garrett Selleck are their tight ends this year, they, they win one, maybe two games. And um, I just I, I don't think any player had more of an impact uh, than George Kittle did. So he's going to be my MVP. How many games do they win if Vance McDonald is their number one tight end? Fifteen. Wow. OK, <laughs> I was going to say like 12, but 15. I mean, I appreciate the aggressiveness on your part. Um, my MVP, I'm going to go with DeForest Buckner just just because I, I totally understand the case for Kittle. Um, just play in and play out the guy who was the most consistent, just the the biggest force on the team defensively, just a really good player. I don't have like a ton of crazy stats other than, you know, 12 sacks and I could probably go to pro football focus and look up his pressure rate and things like that. And, uh, but I just think Buckner is, is their most indispensable player at this point. And he's a guy, and maybe this isn't good criteria for the award, but He's a guy that I'm sure is going to be a really, really good player in 2019. And and not that I don't think Kittle's going to be good in 2019, but if Kittle had like a, you know, a 950 yard season, which would still be really good for a tight end, uh, he, you know, that, that would be a significant drop off to whereas I think Buckner is, is probably more likely to be an all pro next season. And like, like I said, that, that's not, that's not a knock on Kittle. Sure. Just just for contrarian sake, I'm going to go with DeForest Buckner. Um, so those are our awards. Offensive rookie of the war, offensive rookie of the year. I went with Dante Pettis. You went with Mike McGlinchey. Uh, we both went Fred Warner, defensive rookie of the year. Defensive player of the year. We went Buckner, offensive player of the year. Kittle, best win. Did we both say Seahawks? Yeah, yeah. We, we both, both said Seahawks. Seahawks. Week 16, 15, 15. Week 15. Uh, my best play was Kittle's 43-yard touchdown in the finale to give him the record. Yours was Richie James' kickoff return touchdown against the Seahawks. So I think that about wraps it up. I'm sure that that 
the players will be very excited once we notify them that they've won the prestigious uh, first Candlestick Chronicles end of season awards. Yeah, they will be when yeah, for sure. For sure. When um when we get one or two or three of them on uh this podcast, we'll we'll notify them and, and they'll be thrilled. Yeah, um, I think so too. As they should be. Um and maybe they go, you know, they tell their agents to go to John Lynch and and ask for a bonus because, you know, I won team MVP on Candlestick Chronicles yeah. for yep. twenty eighteen. Cash me out. All right, we're going to wrap it up. That's some. That's what Cassius Marsh will say for sure. Oh, God, I love Cassius Marsh. <laughs> He's the best, dude. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap up Candlestick Chronicles for Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group. I'm Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee, and we are out. <laughs> <laughs>